listeners. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made to headlines, maybe they weren't believed, and you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us, and remember, listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community, and we know the struggles of our community. And I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us. You are worthy, you know, and you are. You're precious, you know, you're beautiful. And in spite of what you're going through or what you've gone through, it does not determine who you are going to be in the future. Just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in that. And there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. Taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. I really think, honestly, that what you and Sharice are doing with this podcast is a godsend for many people. They are really feeling able to really speak about these experiences because you and I know that when it comes to sexual violence or human trafficking or anything where women, and especially Black women and other women of color, are constantly being violated, we're always told to shut up, be silent, go with the flow. We don't have the outlet to really speak the truth. So the fact that you guys have this podcast that allows individuals to come in and share their stories uh, and share their stories, you know, even maybe anonymously, right, I think will help so many individuals out there. We're going to get into a little part of me actually disclosing and sharing information that I haven't shared publicly either. Um, This occurred when I was around 16 years old, and it just continues to shape the narrative and the idea that we need to understand what commercial sexual exploitation of children is and what it looks like. I was sexually exploited, and in this light, it was an ex-boyfriend of mine who exploited me through recording us engaging in sexual activity and displaying it for many others to see during house parties. It's a a bit similar to what Sabrina is sharing. Check out my story. That is what was happening to you. And I have a similar story that I actually have never told. And I don't even know why I still don't feel comfortable telling. But there was a situation when I was a teenager and I was trying to be blackmailed. And I didn't know that I was we were being taped. 
okay, I'm gonna just go say it because I just feel so connected to Brina. <laughs> and he, he, he was abusive and I was leaving him and I was 16. He was turning 18, senior in high school and I was a sophomore. And I was at work and I worked at a hospital. I was a dietary aide. I love that job, man. I was a dietary aide. So I go to the hospital and I give people their food. I give them their trays and I tell them, you know, have a good night. I'll be back for pick up your tray, whatever. But I also had to work in the kitchen. So I make burgers, you know, salads for the doctors, whatever. And one of his friends comes into the cafeteria and is like, oh, shit, Victoria. And I was just like, yeah. And he was like, so you and, you know, so-and-so aren't together, right? And I was like, no. He was like, well, I, I don't want to be the one to break the news to you, but there's a whole video that he's having parties and showing y'all having sex. Oh, no. So it was recorded the night that he was telling me to come over, like, let's work these things out and, you know, let's, you know, whatever. And, I, you know, I was pressured and, you know, coerced. I mean, there doesn't need to be a label on it, but I didn't want to do it. And mm -hmm. we still did it. And I knew that it was, something was wrong. I didn't trust my gut and intuition either to just, and I didn't have the, what a lot of the girls don't have and males too, when it was taken away from us at a young age. We didn't have the authority over our own bodies to say no. Right. We didn't have the respect for our own bodies to say, I don't want to do this right now. And there's, there's grown men and women that still can't do that. You know, talk about insecurities. We just don't even know our value and our respect for our own, our own body parts. And to, I, I think I had a breakdown at the hospital and I had called the police and they were like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, is, can't you get arrested for that? Like, you know, that's like, that's not right. You know, there's, yeah. there, he's whole, having whole parties showing this, like it's a freaking porn review and nothing happened. I put myself out there. No one believed, you know, no one believed me. Like it was a bad thing. Like, like almost like I asked him to do it or I took part in it. You know, thankfully I wasn't exposed to like some other people might have been. And I remember the going the next day and we talked about Rod or Dies and I had my best friends and I said, I want to go to his house and I want to go find it. And we're going to break into his house and we're going to find it. And they were like, yes, we're going to tear that whole place up. And I said, no, I just want to find it. I want to take it and whatever. And lo and behold, we did. We broke into that place. We did not find it though. And he had a way of convincing me um, to get in his car and take me to get to go get it wherever it was, which I should have believed myself at the time to not go. But he picked me up and wow, I can't believe I'm telling you my story. <laughs> People are going to be like, what, Victoria never told me? So he would get in his car and I remember when he picked me up, there was a very dark tent, which was illegal. You're not supposed to have dark tent. And I couldn't unlock the door from the inside. And I was just like, how the hell did he set this up like this? And it was only a two door car. So I couldn't unlock the door from the inside. And then for some reason, every light that we were going to was green. There was never a stoplight. So I remember he cracked the window a little bit, only enough where I could stick my little hand out of the, the side. And I think I had like a pen or something in my hand and I was scraping the shit out of the door. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I wanted to say help or, you know, somebody would get my attention, but we never stopped. So no one could see it. So then it's, it's about to be dark. It's around 4, 4.35. This is up north too. And I'm, we were turning into a park, a little isolated park. And I remember when we turned in, 
he turned down the music and it was like the freaking creepiest silence that I could ever experience. And I really thought I was going to die. Like, I just thought this was like my last day. He's never going to give me the tape. I should just like, you know, do everything I have to do right now. Like I'm building up myself to fight. And we get to the back of the park where I could hear a basketball. I saw this little boy bouncing a basketball. And I think he could see me like scraping the shit out of the car. And he just pulls in. I guess he didn't expect to see a, a kid just pulls in and I remember he gets out of the car and he sees the passenger's door that's all scraped up and he just opens the door and punches me in my face like two or three times where I couldn't even move and I was trying to get out to the left side he came to the he came out to the driver's side and then he was like freaking punching me on that side of the face so then I finally got out and I just remember seeing the little kid to my my peripheral view and the ball was just bouncing and he was screaming and I was screaming. I was like, stop, let me go. I was like, go get help, go get help. So I finally was like crawling out to the boy with the basketball. And then he gets in the driver's seat and he just drives away. Oh that fucking God. tape, excuse my language, is probably somewhere out there. He, I remember my rider dies. I was calling them. I, I called them from a payphone, and no one had, no one was receiving collect calls. So uh-huh. I had to call one of my friends where we weren't that close, but she was still able to call someone and they came and picked me up and they're like, you don't want to press charges. And I'm like, no, no one's going to believe me. No one cares. I've already told them that somebody saw the tape already and no one did anything. Plus I had already broken into his place. Now I damaged his car. So like there were so many things, you know, against me. And I remember his stepmom driving up to the payphone because I was still waiting outside now it's like three of my friends and they were all waiting for my mom to get off of work to come and pick me up and she pulls up and I remember her saying you better not say shit like you don't have nothing you won't be anything you better not say anything it's your fault so I'm hearing this from a grown woman telling me that it's my fault that I got what was done to me because of what I did and the fact that I should never would try to break up with him and it's just like, how do you, how do men and how do young teenagers, especially, have it in their mind to have this exploitive nature? Like, let's do what we can to exploit them. I wonder if it's a, I mean, I believe it's a learned characteristic, you know, like it had, it, when I worked at a rape crisis center, that's what the training is, you know, boy, young boys and girls don't grow up and be like, oh, I'm going to be an abuser. You know, they see that. They see that within their their family, you know, their upbringing, their childhood, whether that's an abusive mom, abusive dad. So they pick up on that. And, you know, I think that it's a learned characteristic, especially coming from me, what I witnessed. Mm-hmm. This stepfather was the one that was mm, the, the, telling charge. Right, you know? And so if he's getting this, Right. If he's the ringleader, he's probably telling my exploiter this is how you do it this is what you need to do this is how you handle these hoes yada 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 you know so that's a learned characteristic you're learning these things whether you have trauma yourself whether you're just an angry person from witnessing that from your mom you're like f women i'm just gonna you know come back and do the same thing to them who knows what it is but i don't believe that you wake up one day and you're choosing to be this person that is something that is taught and that's why it's so important that these young men and these girls you're taught what a healthy relationship looks like if you don't have that at home reach out to someone that you can trust someone that is role modeling that for you 
and talk to them. Hey, this is what's going on at home. Is this what is this right? Is this wrong? At least that way you probably can help your mom or your dad and you're learning that is not normal. Abuse is not normal. You don't need to take that like say something. Hey, it's Victoria. So thanks for tuning in today. That might have been a lot, but I appreciate you for tuning in, listening, and just being a part of the traffic truce. The time is now. And I also wanted to ask, if you want to share your survivor story, or if you have a topic that you just want us to cover to raise more awareness, let me know at Gmail or on Instagram, unseenttttpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram.